Hey, y'all. It came out a little bit differently. This is Jean Nathan. This is Crosstown Conversations, and I have a whole army in my uh, studio at the moment and a couple more armies uh, waiting in the next room uh, coming right after them. So we're going to dive right in, and um, we're going to learn a little something today about the greening of... Uh, neighborhoods in the city and what you can do to help and why it's so important. It really, really is. If, if you, if you don't like having your car flooded and, and, uh, your plumbing and your doorstep, then you, you're gonna wanna pay attention to this. I am going to allow these young ladies in my, in my shop right now to introduce each of them themselves and then one of them, Angela, I guess, is going to tell us why they're all here and what we're doing. I've asked them to weigh in on something for me, and before they leave, they're going to tell me about it. Okay, so let's go around the room. Uh, Dana Brown, I'm a landscape architect, uh, native in New Orleans, and been licensed for way too long, and uh, love doing green infrastructure, so we design uh, ways to manage water. We don't build it, um, except when I'm doing volunteer work, but we, we design it and we do a huge, huge projects and very small projects. So glad to be here. Good afternoon. Thank you, Jeannie, once again for inviting me into your home, <laughs> the radio station. Um, I'm Cheryl Austin, as you know. I'm the executive director of Greater Treme Consortium, and we are a collaborating partner with the WaterWise Gulf South Initiative, and um, we have a pilot program, WaterWise Treme, and we've been working with the assembled group here for about the last four years. Wow, four mm-hmm. years. That's hard to sustain collaborative work for four years. We work uh, at it. I want to know. I want <laughs> to hear more continue. about how you all keep that going together. <laughs> Um, sure. Hi, everyone. Jean. Um, my name is Hillary Shaquet. I am. Um, the, I have a small business, Recharge Nola, uh, looking at rainwater harvesting. But my, I'm here tonight with Waterwise Gulf South, and talking about green infrastructure. Miss yeah. Angela is the one who called me. <laughs> well, um, thank you for having us. Uh, I'm Angela Chalk. I'm a fourth generation um, Seventh Ward resident and founder and executive director. So fourth generation, let's take that back to the beginning. Mm-hmm. First year, there was somebody with your genetic, well, like, we can't yeah. go back that far, yeah. but when you say fourth generation, it takes us back how far? What year? Uh, to the late 1800s. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That, that my family has um, lived lived and worked in the Seventh Ward. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, and so I am um, founder and executive director of Healthy Community Services, which is a nonprofit organization based in the Seventh Ward that focuses on making um, communities healthier and sustainable. So we look at green infrastructure, how to um, reduce food insecurities, and what the Seventh Ward is known for is community engagement and outreach so that we can come together as a community around a whole, as a whole. Uh, in being a healthier community. 
And right now, I don't think there is any um, issue really in New Orleans that we talk about more other than, you know, the usual um, holidays and music and food and, and um, unfortunately, still crime, which is just a byproduct of, of um, our continuing uh, economic deficiencies mm -hmm. and educational issues and so forth and so on. But water... Uh, I think that if somebody actually did a poll, I bet you anything, water would be right up there. In fact, it seems to me now I can't I can't quote chapter and verse. I don't have a research staff like Rachel Maddow on MSNBC, <laughs> but um, uh, water has been in the top uh, five issues for the city for voters. Y yes, it has because it's a mess, and we live in a city that's below sea level. Uh, that everyone knows. We live in a city that has an aging infrastructure, and we live in a city where um, the, the the mechanisms of um, pumping out flood water is, is no longer where we can just rely on the pumps and the drains. We have to get back to nature and do things the natural way, the way it was designed to flow because of our, our location and our geography of our city. Well, location, geography, and, yes, climate change. Yes. So climate <laughs> change, you know... Uh, uh, never mind. I'm, I'm not going to say anything about him. I'm going to just leave him out of this conversation. But Well, let me just say this. Um, yeah. Cheryl and I were at a um, peer convening in Atlanta recently around the work that we do, and there was a representative from the Lake Pontchartrain Basin um, Foundation who make, gave us our aha moment, and that was that um, the atmosphere is warmer, which means that it holds more water, and so as a result of that, we have more frequent storms and more intense storms. And what that means is that we have more storms occurring um, more Throughout the year. Right, throughout the year, more more rapidly and more intense. Right. And so that's why we're experiencing um, the flooding, the urban flooding that we're Yeah, so, um, you know, right, we, we tend to focus on, you know, June to October, mm -hmm. our hurricane season. Everybody gets all panicky about that. But lately, we know that, that it, it can hit at any time. I, I'll, I'll remember recently, um, where were we coming back from? My husband and I were in the car com oh, coming back from Oshawa, I think. Mm -hmm. And um, it was like, okay, Tannen, say, I'm going to go this way. And I'm saying, I don't think you want to go that way. Yeah. It was Broad Street. Mm -hmm. I'm saying, no, no. But, yeah, he took that. And sure enough, I mean, I said, okay, now we're going to go down this street. I said, I don't think so, because that's going to get you into another. You can't, you really, basically now, you can't, there used to be this, you know, high ground, low ground. There used to be the, you know, the sliver by the river. It doesn't matter where you are. The water's going to get you now. Exactly. And have you seen that book, The Water Will Come? Um, this is a book you all want to read. Okay, yeah. It's a new one. It's, yeah. uh, it's Of all of them, it's probably the most devastating. Okay. But um, we can fight it. Okay. Right? We can live with it. I don't know if we can fight it, but we certainly can live with it. And we have to live with it because the, what's the alternative if we don't live with it? But And we can manage it. Tell me about that. I want to know. Let, let's talk about how because I, I, I take this very personally since, you know, I've got some property in Treme. I live in Treme since 1972. We're going to let Dana take that. She's the technical <laughs> expert. <laughs> Well, you know, if you think about it, uh, the way that we've been thinking about water is get rid of water, hurry up, get rid of water. And we also use words like flood control. 
And that's sort of crazy. Uh, well, we're all women sitting here in this room right now. We know you don't control things. You manage around things. <laughs> you know, we don't really control much of anything. And so if we think about it that way, that's why Angela is saying it's about living with water. So if we think about the amount of water that falls, how quickly it falls, we need to f- develop places, spaces, little bitty spaces, bigger spaces, huge spaces, parks, that can, can detain water for a while. While, while the storm is happening, while the rain, rain is falling. And it holds that water back. So if it holds water back, instead of putting it... absorbs it. it. Well, but, yeah, it definitely absorbs... It can't absorb the water if the water doesn't have time to sit there and, and infiltrate. But at the same time, what you're doing is you're relieving pressure off of the gray infrastructure because it's just like when everybody gets off at the same time, from work in the afternoon, and we're all trying to get on the on-ramp on the Claiborne Expressway or the West Bank Expressway or I-10, that ramp is backed up because we're all doing it at the same time. If some of us were held back like that water, the people who were there could move better, right? And then after a delay, we could then come and get on the ramp with water. And you mentioned it, Jean. Not only would it allow that to happen, there'd actually be less water getting into that pipe in the first place because a lot of it would get absorbed into the ground. But it's got to have time to sit there. You know? Okay, so how do, we, how do we promote that time? Well, the first thing is to become educated about what green infrastructure is and what great infrastructure is. Great infrastructure are the pipes, the drains, the canals that pump water out of the city. Green infrastructure is using native species, native plants, and um, native mechanisms to intervene and retain, detain, or infiltrate that water. So, so what, why do you emphasize native species? Because it's just a, a no-brainer. Um, the, the native species are used to being in the water because of our climate. So when you bring in species that are not um, native to this area, then they have a harder time um, naturally controlling or detaining that water. And I don't want to use the word control, but um, just naturally um, doing what nature does, designs it to do. Uh, One thing I have noticed around town, and and this is certainly something that has been happening really over the past several decades, but for some reason I'm really noticing it more now because they've gotten so much bigger. Cypress trees. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're fabulous. They will drink up hundreds and hundreds of gallons of water in one day if the water is available to it. The way we've been designing and building things, we drain the water away from it. And then we wonder why the trees aren't very healthy or why they are looking for water underneath your sidewalk and breaking up the sidewalk, right? And they, and they don't do as well. Um, and then they're brittle when there's a storm. But if we were to put them in a little bit more of a depressed area, and that's the native plants that like water a lot. They're plants that still want to have some dryness. Then they'll, it'll soak up that water, and those, they're thriving then. They thrive. And there are a lot of native species like that. And when they thrive, they're drinking up water that never has to get pumped out. And that's live oaks too, isn't it? Absolutely. Right? They, 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 they don't want to sit in wet feet for a long time, even though they did a great job uh, following Katrina. It surprised us all how well they did, standing in water. We lost so a lot of them, too, though. We did, but yeah. not like magnolias. They can't take it at all. They're very sensitive. But, but you know, cypress and um, red swamp maple and a lot of other trees 
Really do. Swamp maple. I love that tree. <laughs> you see it driving to Baton Rouge on the side of the interstate. So, so yeah, let's, let's stay with this for just a minute because um, I, I like the, these details. What other trees? We've got we've, cypress. Yeah. And cypress are beautiful. They are. And, yes. But, man, they've gotten big. All over town, those little babies that were planted in the 70s and 80s, they are now big mamas. Yes, out there. Mm-hmm. But look at how much water they're drinking up and how much shade they're providing, right? Right. We that, need shade here. Yeah. Really? That too. Uh, live oaks, red swamp, I'm not familiar with. I'm going to yeah. go look it up. Yeah. What else? Acerubrum, germum. Yeah, you don't want the botanical name probably. <laughs> Sorry, my, my, i got to stop myself on that one. Uh, but there's some other oaks as well. We always think of just live oaks. Um, and definitely do not plant water oaks, people. Don't plant water oaks. I was oaks. just about to say, what about water oaks? No. They're too mm-hmm. short-lived and brittle, and some. That's and what it, they part. They planted those on Galvez. Yeah, they belong that, in a forest, mm-hmm. not in an urban setting. That's mm-hmm. where they're fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you could plant other trees. Uh, there's um, white oak. There's uh, uh, white oak. The nut oak. Willow oak. Willow oak. You yeah. can yeah, willow oak, white oak. Not um, all oak was one we just planted. Yeah, with we just planted not all oak. Yeah, not all is a great mm-hmm. tree. What is it? Not, not all. all oak. Yeah. Not all oak. Yeah, one word, not all. And then we plant... Uh, uh, we plant the Sweet Bay Magnolia. I love that. Um, I, I, that's I, all that come in my mind are in botanical homes. names. So um, tulip tree. Tulip. Tulipifera. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Um, po- tulip poplar. Is that what maybe you're thinking of? I think so. Yeah. Um, so Liriodendron, tulip camphora. Is that what you're maybe? Uh, I think the, the tulip poplar. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll try not to do any more Latin, right? I'm just trying yeah. to think <laughs> of what they are. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now uh, let, let me. Um, I'm going to have to be a little bit uh, tighter because mm-hmm. I, I do have um, a fuller show than usual. Because um, so, um, what are you guys specifically trying to achieve, achieve with your collaborative effort? Well, <clears throat> in Treme, the goal is to really become a green infrastructure community, um, as Angela and um, Dana has said. Is first about educating the community, which is what we've been doing through our workshops, our green infrastructure workshops, and um, hands-on demonstration do-it-yourself projects. When do you do the workshops? When and where? Well, we are in the process of planning the workshops for 2019. Um, As a matter of fact, next week (laughs) we'll be scheduling everything out (laughs) next week. So um, please invite us back so that we can have a list of the dates and times. You just send me your notices and I'll plug you in without a doubt. Yes. But so in the Mm -hmm. workshops, you really kind of go over some of the things we're just touching on for a minute here. Well, yes. you did a lot of it just now, Dana, and Hillary was anxious to jump in, and I'm sure Angela was also. But um, I'm glad that you kind of cut them off because we do want people to come out and experience what I have experienced personally um, by getting involved with stormwater management um, in the collaborative with these ladies along with Jeff Supak of Global Green, um, just bringing people together in the community for a better understanding of how each of us 
can help reduce flooding in our neighborhoods. So I want to touch on, I, I told you I was going to get personal about this because, you know, I, I, I mentioned off um, the air that um, uh, my property, we bought our property in the mid-70s mm-hmm. when uh, it, my neighborhood wasn't quite so popular as it is now. Now it's getting a little bit too popular, if you know what I mean. <laughs> but at, at, at any rate, um, I've got a lot of earth and a lot of uh, trees but I, and, and palm trees and all the kind. But I still have a lot of runoff. I still can watch the water when there's a big storm going fast. I can just, it's just washing out into Esplanade. And then I'll even see dirt out in the, in the um, gutter off the edge of the curb saying, why is that happening when here I am, I, can, I thought I was like the paragon of water management with all that earth and, and trees. So what what's that all about? And, and what can people do about that? It's, it's, it's the grading, huh? Yes, you need to create a, sort of a little depressed area. It doesn't have to be very much. A depressed area? Oh, so yeah. just have like a little rut just it could, before? It will. You can make a rain garden, right? Well, uh, I have what... what you, I have rain garden. Yeah, but it, it has to be depressed so water sits in it for a while. If it's sloping, just straight sloping all the way to the street, yes, when it's raining that much, the water's just going to run off, it's and it is going to erode. Off. So you need to take and create some... Uh, swales. Yeah, swales, swales. Mm-hmm. bioswales, rain gardens, um, and plant those with native plants because mm-hmm. they'll be happy, and uh, they'll get big, and they'll look great, and they'll create urban habitat. And uh, and that'll that'll take care of that water before it, it may never go into the street. I don't guess a Chinese fan palm is a native plant. No, <laughs> I mean I must have fifty of them. They've had babies all no. over. I'm a nursery. Oh, you boy. should not mention that plant to these two, <laughs> except for the native. The, there is a native palmette. Now don't yeah. you talk bad about my Chinese fan palms because I love those. Palms. No, we're not going to talk bad. We're just going to educate you on maybe transferring out those into native plants so that we can help reduce the runoff in your I'm not um, taking them out, <laughs> but I will add. Yes, I will add. that. Okay, I will add. Let me say, mm-hmm. the, the demonstration project that we have in the seventh one, which was the first one, is the uh, um, bioswale that Dana Brown and Associates um, designed, and it's, it'll be four years old in March. Uh, I have not had a problem with uh, mosquitoes because I know that's a concern for people oh about my God, mosquitoes. I have such bad mosquitoes. No, I have not. Uh, you have to look at wh- how it was designed, if it's um, still working properly, and I maintain it um, twice in a quarter um, to make sure that it's still properly working the way it's, it's, it's designed to work. So it's still exciting for me. Um, to see it in action, and um, the um, the palmetto palms have gotten to be about four and a half to five feet tall, and it, it's beautiful when you see it working. I have a palmetto palm mm-hmm. that is above the roof mm-hmm. of my two-story, mm-hmm. 13-foot mm-hmm. ceilinged, I mean, wow. my palmetto wow. palm. You have it's a like tree. You don't have a palm anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's been yeah. out there yeah. since we since we, we got to the property. I mean, uh, we don't do a whole lot of. I'm not. I don't have a green thumb. I just kind of let let it let it be. Mm-hmm. Whatever, that's, that's whatever wants to grow there grows. 
Yeah. Yeah. Totally Natural selection, it. right? It's gonna if it's gonna survive, great. Congratulations on your grant. Yes. Right? Y'all got a nice big fat grant from <laughs> from uh, the Institute for Sustainable Communities. Which turns out to be in Vermont. Yes. How did Vermont ever hear about New Orleans and well, what you're doing? We're apparently we're getting around. Uh, the word about what we do collectively is getting around, but um Jeff Supak, actually, who's not here, and i got to give a shout-out to Jeff. Jeff is the one who located this grant, applied for it, and we all came together to, to put the work into to, it. To put the work into those, it. Those right. grants take a lot of work. You know it. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. so <laughs> proud of you all and excited for what you're doing. Love to hear about the greening of the Seventh Ward. And Treme. And Treme. Mm-hmm. And that's not something a lot of people think about. Mm-hmm. Um Exactly. And uh, could I ask if anybody wants to hear about the workshops that will be coming up next year or anything else? We'll do. Go to www.waterwisegulfsouth.org and sign up for the for the email. We don't email Gulf very often. Coast. <laughs> Gulf, South. Gulf South. Gulf South. Gulf South. Gulf South.org. We don't okay. email much, so. Do you know about that book, Gulf Coast? Anybody here no. know about that book? The one, The Making of a Gulf. That one. That's what is the history of the I Gulf Coast? I just bought it. I just bought it. I don't have it. You're going to really enjoy it. Yeah. It is fascinating and it's it, it, in a funny, weird way, it's very romantic. Mm. Yeah. That's yeah. A, it's from a, a certain Must read for me. Yeah. Last words yeah. from anybody before um, we kick you all out? Just want to <laughs> let everyone know that the press conference is occurring um, December the 11th. Um, from 1045 to uh, 1145 at the Nora Library, 1902 St. Bernard Avenue. Love that new library. Yeah, we ask that people come out and see um, the visions that our neighborhood champions have put together, the vision for the neighborhood, and that's the exciting part about this. It's all community-driven, and this grant is um, allowing us to be one of seven cities nationally. Um, who have received this award. And um, if you have time, we have a list of the green infrastructure tour that you can see the projects that we've done between Torme and 7th Ward. Bravo, ladies. Mm-hmm. Thank Bravo. you, Jeannie. Thank you very much. Thank Y'all you. come back and tell me about it some more. I'm going to bring in the tiny houses people now because it's just such a natural uh, follow-up to this. We'll, we'll get you out of here, too. But um, uh, because it just sort of feels like a, a connecting, because um, Amy's organization is involved with um, the Tiny House Festival. Mm-hmm. Do you know about it? I saw it? that, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And um, it's, it's something we're going to have to be uh, doing more and more. So thank you all very much for everything that you're doing for Seventh Ward and Tremaine. Thank you, Jean. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So, um, we, yeah, we've got a lot going on today because we're, we're going to get to um, the Music Box folks have such a sensational event coming up. And um, it's, I just fell in love with it the minute I read about it and said they, they've got to come in and talk about it. But tiny houses, oh, my God. I mean, I want to close the door, please. Um, they, this, is, this is a phenomenon that is kind of critically important at a time when – the rest of the country still has not figured out how to deal with the issue of affordable housing. I mean, so we're, ta- true. We, we're talking about it. We talk about it and we talk about it. And the next thing, thing, thing you hear, and, and did I hear this right, that the council voted not to require new developments to include affordable housing? Is that correct? That hurts my feelings. I, I, I think it hurts my feelings, too. I, I, and I don't understand it because 
I, I think that a lot of the people on our new council, and I know our mayor, is totally committed to affordable housing. So I, I just don't understand. I hope I'm wrong. Let's just say yeah, Jean's wrong. I hope wrong. so, too. Jean's wrong. So Tidy House Festival coming right up. Yes, indeed. Tell me all about it. Tell, first of all, people don't know what tiny houses are. Unless they're tiny houses people. So tell me what well, what are tiny houses? Tiny houses are, are structures that are 450 square feet or less. Te- technically. Um, that's the definition. Uh, the ones that we're talking about this weekend are on wheels. And they can be little houses. They can be what's called schoolies, which is um, uh, school buses that have been repurposed to become a home. They can be yurts. They can be, um, what else, Alex? Box, trucks. Box. Trucks. Trucks. Mine isn't built in a U-Haul box truck. Uh, you know, I'm sorry. I didn't get you guys introduced. Amy. Yes. Amy Smallwood, Louisiana Cultural Economy Foundation. And your role with tiny houses. Uh, well, I love them. And um, I've been curious about them. I'm tiny curious. Tiny so. <laughs> Uh, I've been interested in them for a long, long time. I think they're a great solution to a lot of issues. Uh, and I was looking for a fundraiser for the Cultural Economy Foundation, and I had been going to these festivals in other parts of the country, so I thought, why not, not here. bring it here? Because if I didn't do it, somebody else would. So Eventually. I started thinking I'd put one together, and I called – United Tiny House Association, um, John and Finn Kernahan, and they do festivals in other parts of the country, and um, asked them if they would get involved with us, and they, they said yes. Yep. Uh, and my name is Alex Eves, a uh, man of many things, uh, but most importantly, I'm the owner and dweller of the reused box truck tiny house. Uh, it's a 98-square-foot tiny house made entirely of used materials built in a U-Haul box truck. We call him the reuse expert. So, you know, reusing in a way is something that has been a theme in in New Orleans and actually in many cities uh, uh, now because increasingly as, um, you know, the whole nature of our economy changes and we don't need big factories anymore, all big factories are becoming uh, used in in many ways and so on and so on, old schools um, and, and houses. So, um, I'm with you. I'm, I'm a big believer in reusing, especially since I don't think I have a stick of furniture in my house that wasn't pre-used. Really? The, yeah, I don't. Uh, everything you, you've been in my house, and every piece of furniture in that house came out of either a thrift store, an auction, maybe an antique shop. How about your toilet seat? Oh, what a question. Gotcha. We, we did buy that. Yeah, we did buy that. In fact, um, we used, we had a, a toilet that had been in there forever and it was a pain in the neck or pain in the butt. <laughs> another, pain, a pain in the butt. And, um, I was at a friend's house who has a lot more money than I do and I saw, and I, and I flushed the toilet and it went, I said, ooh, I need one of those. Hmm. And it's a Toto. So now I have a Toto toilet, which is kind of a, yeah. It Fancy. works. It works mm. nicely. Okay. Well, so tell her about your toilet, Alex. What kind of toilet do you have? Uh, so oh. mine is a custom-made composting toilet. Um, so it's made entirely, again, out of used material. So it's made with fence postings and various various wood from builds. And then we got a excess. Um, it, it was excess from a build uh, toilet seat. 
just something that was, you know, overproduced for a construction job. So I love it. Very cool. It's very cool. You you know, it's hard for a lot of people to imagine what it's like inside of a, a home like Alex's. Um, and it's it's really quite comfortable. It's cozy. It yes, it's small, but um, you know he's a man who does not own a lot of stuff, and he doesn't have a lot of clothes, you know, like us gals do. I, I think that's a very important point. That you know, one of the things I think that we've discovered in our age uh, of of the, let's say our evolutionary moment is that <laughs> no, I got to find out what that's all about. Um, is that um, we just we have too much stuff. We have too much stuff. We are. My husband and I are particularly. Oh, Jean. No, we're we're borderline hoarders. We're borderline for sure. We sort of hide it. But it, you have a lot of good stuff. Yeah, I mean, we hide it under a, a, an aesthetic veneer, but it's definitely dangerous. It's 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 getting there. So um, I think that it's really. Um, uh, it it's 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 something that we we. I think and whenever I see a tiny house and how compact it is and how it addresses all your basic living needs without a bunch of stuff, I think it's got to be freeing. It definitely is. <laughs> that is for sure. Yeah, and imagine it, not having a mortgage. Yeah. Uh, and people ask me questions all the time, and it's a very similar answer that I give. Most of us who live in tiny houses do not build and live in a tiny house to stay in a tiny house 24 hours a day. We do it to free up time, money, and resources so we can enjoy life because what we realize is that life is outside, you know, and the more life that we put inside the house, the more we're going to stay in the house and be owned by the house instead of owning the house. i got to convince my husband of this. He's one of these really, really homebody people who just would be very happy to never leave the house. And I, I, and I had surgery recently, and I was, like, in lockdown in the house. I was like, Sunday came along, and I said, i got to get out of here. And I, and, I, and I just literally just went out and did all kinds of stupid stuff just to, to get out of that. And, and my place is not a tiny house. But I, I just think that um, that freedom, that freedom from stuff. Yeah. And yeah. and I love the, the, the statement that it... it, 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 it Pushes you out, pushes you outside. No, so what are we going to see at the festival? Tell me some of your, your favorite houses, so some characteristics of some of the um, houses that people would really love to see. Well, I can tell you about two of them for sure that I'm interested in. One is the tiny firehouse, station number nine, um, and that's owned by the Kernahans. And they uh, commissioned um, and worked with a builder to create this house. And it's it's pretty interesting. They use it on the road to raise funds to support uh, firefighters, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, families of fallen firefighters. Yeah, and it's um, it's pretty special. It even has a fire pole in it. That's how they get out of bed. Yeah. It's like on the fire pole. Is the bed in a loft? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. And another one that's with us um, this weekend is the Tiny Traveling Theater. And um, that is a, an incredible little house. It's 20 feet long. And um, it has a, a stage that slides under the floor of the living room that they can pull out. And there are, you know, heavy curtains to be drawn, you know, to be able to pop out onto the stage. There's a latch in the stage so that you can even go down underneath it. Um, so we're going to be using that for a lot of our speakers and some of our performers we're for this weekend. We're talking ingenuity. 
Yeah. Definitely. Artistic ingenuity. Yeah. Yeah. And and so um, I'm sure what you see out there is a lot of innovative strategies. Sure. And use of every space. Yeah. I think that's the big thing is when you're dealing with a lot smaller space, you have to get creative. It forces you to get creative. And for me, think inside the box. Get it? Because it's a box, Jack. That's really funny. <laughs> so, so um, generally speaking, would you say that um, a, a significant portion of tiny houses are on wheels so that they can move from location to location or not? I, I think the majority are for sure. Uh, my, mine is a little different because mine is the – I call it the get-in-and-go model. I don't have a trailer or anything. It's just right inside the truck, which I find way more convenient. Um, but I definitely see the benefits of the trailer. Um, as well, but there are there are plenty of you know permanent tiny houses around the country. It makes so much sense for this part of the world, especially too with um, you know the coastal flooding. erosion and flooding that we're faced with. That you could literally just okay, it's not let's evacuate. It's like let's just move the house. Right, move the house. That's let's right. evacuate with, with the you. house. Yeah, yeah, it I makes wonder, sense. I wonder if that would have you know again not only flooding but um, in fire country. Sure. Uh, it might. I, I don't know how fast. How fast uh, normally can you move a tiny house on wheels from one location to another? How does that work? You mean speed on the highway? You can go yeah, about. No, so much. Not so much speed on the highway, but getting it, getting it out of the spot that it's in, and and getting it moving to the next spot. Depends on how much stuff you have to put away, <laughs> pretty much. You know, because usually the trailers are attached um, to the to the truck, and then you know it's just a matter of. You know, putting the travel things away, like breakables, bottles, tying everything down. You know, for me, my thing, my system's down to about 10 minutes to set up and break down. Damn. Then mm-hmm. just get in and go. That's awfully good. That's yeah. awfully good. And then think about the schoolies. The schoolies are, um, you know, they're attached like the box trucks, so they can just What's hop What's a schoolie? In. Oh, that's the school buses that they turn into homes. Yeah. We're going to have a lot of schoolies so much this space. weekend. Yeah. There's somebody got a schoolie right outside my house. They they park it across the street from the John Mc, what used to be the McDonough High School is now Bricolage, and I've been try, I've never seen them. And they leave their doors open a lot. I haven't hmm. figured that out. Huh. But again, it's the unstuffed thing. They must have nothing in there that they're worried about anybody taking off. But I see that bus. You know, it's in and out, but uh-huh. every few weeks that bus is there. Huh. Hmm. Interesting. Where exactly is the tiny festival taking place? It is at Heritage Park in Slidell, which is right by the train station. So it's in the middle of town, right on Bayou Bonfuca. It's a beautiful site. And um, I just heard that we're going to have – it's also a marina there. So I just heard that we're going to have – the marina is going to be booked by a group of sailboats who are coming, who are decorated for Christmas. Oh, I know. Great. It's going it. to be awesome. And we've got it. all these tiny houses. We've got food trucks. Um, some fabulous food trucks with great Louisiana food. Um, we're going to have some music. We've got the Bucktown All-Stars. We're going to have some some Cuban party. music. and all, We're even going to have a group called the Tiny House Band, so I'm really <laughs> excited to hear them. Speakers, many, all sorts of things. How um, many houses are you going to have out there? 30-plus, yeah. I believe. Wow, yeah. great. That's the That's number great. I heard. Yeah. So you can really get a sampling yes. of yeah. the different ideas and strategies for how to, uh, yes. to how to do this. And, you know, you, the speakers are going to really talk a lot about how to, how to do this and what their experiences are. Are tiny houses allowed 
in in cities in the average lot that might be a lot for a larger house? How does that work? It, it all depends on the city, but there are a lot of regulations around the country because a lot of towns don't want them because they won't get as much tax money. And then a lot of, you know, the people who own larger houses, they don't want their McMansion to be undervalued by a tiny house. I know that's the situation where I'm from in Massachusetts. So you have to find the right. Where in Massachusetts are you from? Uh, basically in between Boston and Cape Cod, the South Shore. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I spent a lot of time out in the Gloucester area. That's where my family's from. I'm a Babson. I don't know if you know the history. I do know the Babsons. I am a you Babson. You want to know how well I know Babson? How Wait. well? What is the name of this? Why does this not surprise me? <laughs> it's a small world. Yeah. That's why. <laughs> Ever hear the family, the Wainwrights? Bill mm, and Clara Wainwright? Maybe. So their house. Mom, if you're listening. That house is right out on a little promontory of rocks into Essex Bay. Okay. And I wish I could remember the name of the road that leads down to their house, but I think the Bap- Babson? The Bap- museum? No. The family house or whatever? It's right next door. Okay. Yeah. I could be wrong about this. I'll find out from my husband when I get home if I have the but I know I've seen that name. Okay. If if nothing yeah, else weird. I've seen it on a sign. Well it's Babson College and then uh the founder, you know, he was my grandfather's great uncle, I believe. I, I, I I'm not thinking about the college. I'm thinking just about a family residence where there's a little, you know, sign announcing the family that owns it. Yeah, it's the the Babson family started in Gloucester. That's where the first person came over, and now there's like a historical monument there in Gloucester. It's probably that's, what you're talking about. That's so not exciting. exactly what I'm thinking of. I'm still thinking of like a private residence. Do you know property. the the poem, Babson, Babson, Killed the Bear? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> no. All right. 30 tiny houses. Yes. Food trucks. Music. Sailboats decorated for the holidays. Live music. Just uh, awesome. film Film festival on Friday featuring two TV shows uh, um, featuring two of the houses that, were, that are there. And then also I heard about this documentary that they're showing called Reuse Because You Can't Recycle the Planet. This guy I know made it. I think it was that you. Guy is me. <laughs> oh, I got it. Okay. Yeah. Um, I hope you have a great time. Oh, uh, is there an entrance fee? Yes, it's $15 in advance, and you can go to uh, unitedtinyhouse.com to buy those tickets. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's $20 at the gate, or you could buy a $35 uh, weekend pass. So, um, you know, you, if you want to look at the schedule, if you want to volunteer, if any, any kind of information that you need is at unitedtinyhouse.com. I wish you a wonderful, fun holiday weekend in your tiny houses. Thank you. It's and I can't, be great. I can't wait to see the tiny house that you wind up building someday because I'm sure that's going to happen. Yeah. No matter what your main house that you live in, you're going to have a tiny house. Yeah, I'm somewhere. sure. I'm sure of it too. It's going to be bedazzled. Be, it'll be bedazzled and sparkly. Yes. Thank you guys so much for coming in. Thank you for having and us, have Jean. A, have a great time. And I don't know what condition uh, all my various little surgical whatevers will be in this weekend, but if if they are in any kind of shape at all, I'll come see you. Okay. Excellent. I would love that. Okay. Thank you. Thank Thanks. you very much. All right. So we're, we've got the water under control, sort of, kind of, managing it. We've got uh, tiny houses as an alternative to having too much stuff that you can't move when the floods come. Um, and now we're going to talk about um, 
pure fun. And this pure fun um, comes um, at the, at the uh, 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 from the fantastic team of creatives that um, keep the music box open. God, almost all the time now, really. It does um, feel like we're open a lot. <laughs> I mean, you have all these um, public hours during the day when people can just come and hang out, and then you have incredible shows with the big music acts, the sunrise and the whatever, and then you have people who can come in and play your architectural instrument, architectural house-like instruments, that they can uh, fool with. And then you have special seasonal events, and I love this one. So, Lisa. Leah. Leah. Yeah. Please tell me about it. Tell me Certainly. about what your role is. Tell me about what you all are doing. And uh, in my my newsletter, I just talked about the Snow Queens. I just love that sound of that. Yeah. Um, well, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me, Jean. Um, my name's Leah Hennessy, and I'm the producer at the Music Box Village in the Bywater. Um, and our site. And they're right on the. Um, go ahead. You were about to say. This yeah, was, yeah our ahead. site is um, part art installation, part sound installation, and part uh, performance venue. Um, right, right on, uh, right just where the where you go up on the bridge. Instead of going up on the bridge from St. Claude Avenue, coming from uptown, you veer to the right, and the very next street over, you take that going towards the Industrial Canal, and then this whole magic world opens up for you. Yeah, it's a little bit of an unconventional location there. Um, near, we're right near the the levee, and uh, that spot is actually called the end of the world. Um, so uh, it feels that way sometimes. But um, our little uh, our enclave um, sits there, the Music Box Village. Um, I was actually telling your tiny house folks that uh, we have a little bit in common because our installations take the form of tiny houses that are all musical in different ways and. Uh, so they have like ceiling fans that make sound or a sliding door that is actually a fretless bass or um, creaky floorboards that that make sounds. Um, Let me just really, because I, I think it, it takes, if you don't see it, it really takes a minute to understand what you're saying. Yes. She is saying that they have self-contained, standalone architectural units that you play like a musical instrument. Right, absolutely. And um, as you said, uh, we bring in musicians from uh, from across New Orleans, but also um, internationally, to come in and, and play these unique sonic sculptures. Um, we just recently had the Sun Ra Orchestra for two shows uh, last month, and we're closing out our season um, this uh, whirlwind year of 2018 uh, with an event called the Snowball. Um, so this will be a party um, a, or a celebration of the winter solstice um, that has moments of performance art and music and ritual and magic. And um, we're inviting everyone to come. Uh, I would say it's a costume ball by other cities standards, but here in New Orleans <laughs> to put on your furs and uh, shimmery fabrics is really just dressing up. So <laughs> exactly. uh, it's a fancy dress ball, though. Um, and like I said, it's kind of. Um, but fancy dress, not in the kind of, um, you know, uptown, Mardi Gras crew sense, but more in, in the sense of, as you said, glitter and glam and whatever's in your closet that shines and sparkles. Yes. And if you have a headdress, all the better. <laughs> all right. Or a mask. Um, 
but uh, the the like I said, the idea of the event is that um, it's around these solstice themes of shedding our possessions at the end of the year, um, taking stock and kind of purging things that we might not want to bring with us into a new year, um, thinking about uh, cycles of time. Um, so all of the performances have a connection to that. Um, there will be several local musicians, um, including members of Black Magic Drumline, um, opera singers from Opera Creole. Uh, there will be uh, indie rockers like uh, Tasha De La Rocha, Sabine Makala, Tiff Lamson, um, and all bringing their various talents to the table um, to create a winter ritual um, that involves waltzing to the March of Time at the end of the year um, that has a little bit about um, kind of like go- hibernation. Um, and I should uh, say that we are... Um, we're collecting coats and uh, doing donations for toys um, for an event benefiting our neighbors in the Lower Ninth Ward that will happen the next Tuesday. Um, so we're we're doing a coat and toy drive right now. Um, folks can bring it to the event, and then we will be giving those away to our neighbors in need uh, on the 18th of December. So what, what it sounds like to me, and having been to a couple of your events, I know it to be true, it, it really is like stepping into a fairy tale. Mm. It's like, um, you know, when we're kids, when we read all those um, uh, books with those beautiful imaginary environments, if if you go to this place, you're you're stepping into a fairy tale, and you're stepping at the same time into a kind of Hollywood extravaganza of performance. Yes, absolutely. Plus food and drink. Yep, plus food and drink. Um, there'll be cocktail specials and, and food, and um, it's definitely an immersive experience. Um, from the moment you walk in the door, you'll be greeted um, by a snow queen that um, draws you in with an ice ritual, and there will be larger-than-life puppets and... Um, Bounce dancers. I mean, there's really like a little bit of everything in the show. Um, and it's all tied together by this like celebration of, of, of winter. And, uh, it's funny that you said fairy tale because as we've been decorating the village for this event, um, one of the ideas that came up was, um, to create an entryway much like um, that of the the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where you have to pass through a wardrobe, and we were going to fill it with fur coats to enter into this wintry world. So that may or may not be there when you come to the event on December 15th, um, but there'll certainly be uh, kinds of magical moments for you to enjoy and scenes and, and, and players. And I, I, I want to stress something. Well. This is a very the, the the thing that's really so remarkable about the, uh, the music box is that on the one hand it can be very what some people in the art world might call avant-garde hmm. in the sense of being not your typical it, it, this is not going to be something from the Macy's Day Parade or it's not going to be something that you might uh, you know uh, see at a department store um, it is going to bring the magic of 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 a of a Mardi Gras parade mm-hmm. into a setting where you can be in it, not just watching it. And I think that those are the two important. So while it can be very avant garde, on the other hand, it can just be extremely natural and easy for anybody coming from any 
lifestyle mm-hmm. to enjoy. It could be, you know, a kid going to a school in the Ninth Ward can enjoy this as much as any sort of artsy type person. They can both enjoy it, and you're in it. You're not mm-hmm. just watching it. That's what I love about it. Yeah, I um, I feel the same way about it. There's there's things happening all around you, like you're saying. Um, you are part of of the moment, um, and I, I do feel like it is for all kinds of, of folks too. Um, we like spectacle and, and magic and, and a party, and uh, who doesn't like those things? <laughs> how, did, how did this particular idea come about? Um, well, uh, in a season where we've done um, a lot of musical performances, um, we did an immersive theater piece uh, right around Halloween, we hadn't done a party. Um, and we do, we typically do something around Halloween, but like I said, we did a theater piece this year, um, and decided we wanted to do a party and, and this kind of grand fashion that we do, um, we did one, we do them around, um, Mardi Gras. We usually have a Mardi Gras ball every year. We did a party that was, um, similar to this for Prospect, uh, last year and, um, decided let's do something before the close of the year. Let's celebrate winter and all of its various forms. And it's a little tongue in cheek. I mean, um, obviously we're here in New Orleans where it's a little chilly today, but um, it's called the snowball. And we so seldom have enough snow for um, for an actual snowball. But then we also have here in New Orleans a treat that we would all, you know, think of maybe before we think of snow. So it plays with um, these winter themes and, and throws them into our tropical climate. Mm-hmm. So this is the 15th, and the 15th is what day of the week? It's Saturday. And it's Saturday next Saturday, mm-hmm. right? And it's from what time to what time? 6 to 10 p.m. Here's another thing that I think is very important about the music box. Plenty of parking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big, big area outside of it for parking. And also very easy bus access because you got, you're right there by the St. Claude Avenue True. bus. Right, sure. and I don't know what they call it when it goes further. Does the St. Claude Avenue bus go down into St. Bernard? I don't honestly know the answer to that. I don't know that it does. Yeah, yeah I think it kind of ends right there. So by if us you're coming on... from say Araby or Chamet, then maybe you're driving. Mm-hmm. But um, you can come from all over by water and Seventh Ward, Eighth Ward, Sixth Ward. You know, from that whole area mm-hmm. by bus. Yeah. So Absolutely. It's, a, it's, it's really easy to get there. Yeah. If people want to learn more detail, of course, it's always the important website. Yes. Um, our website is musicboxvillage.com. And the event is ticketed. Um, the tickets are on sale now, um, and they'll be available at the door as well. Phone number. We don't have one. So you really work off yeah, the website. Okay, yeah. so that's the key way to find out about yes. it. And what? Are you a snow queen? Um, I won't be for this event, um, but we do have uh, a number of snow queens, um, which they're all kind of doing different style performances or just being personas at our party, um, dressed fabulously uh, and made perhaps with something in their hair. But um, they they are dancers, they are opera singers, they are rappers, um, and they are puppeteers, um, and they'll all be doing a little ritual moment for you. It's, it's, just, it's like the nutcracker suite in real life. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so we some, want that kind some of Some people magic. want to go sit in the audience at the municipal auditorium and watch the nutcrackers on suite. 
I want to go to the music box and just be right in it. She's used the word immersive several times during the show, and some people probably knows what that know um, what that means, and some don't. But it, it it really is about being a part of the show mm-hmm. and not just being there to watch it. Yes, you're absolutely right. You are in it. You're in the experience. This this ends the year, and we're getting close to the end of the show. But we have just a couple more minutes. So to give me just a little bit of a preview for what comes up in the spring. Oh, sure. Um, we uh, will probably be doing a formal announcement soon, so this is a sneak preview. Um, we will kick the season off uh, February 14th. will be our Mardi Gras ball on Valentine's Day. Um, and then we will have uh, a couple of performances in March. Um, one of them is going to be um, an original opera written by uh, Bernard Pierce, who is a Creole musician, um, and it's about bees and the coronation of a new queen in the hive. Um, so that's a narrative work we're doing. We're also working with an artist named Kelly Love Jones on a, a theater piece called Pitch Dark. Um, we'll have some exciting programming during Jazz Fest. Um, like I said, we'll be releasing some some names very soon. And um, coming up in May, uh, we're looking at a collaboration towards a new structure with the Smithsonian's um, Asian Pacific American Center. Um, and uh, deaf artist named Christine Sun Kim. So uh, it'll kind of extend us in some new ways uh, by working with a deaf artist in a, in a sonic space um, and hopefully creating something that can be for both communities. That's going to be very interesting because I'm sure that person is working off the vibrations mm-hmm. um, that uh, you experience. Uh, again, that's another thing that's characteristic of, of, a, of, of an architectural element that's been turned into a musical instrument is that if you're in it, you're feeling it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's definitely true. I can't wait. This is definitely, um, we, the Creative Alliance of New Orleans, we did an event called Valdez Artiste for a couple of years. I want to do one again soon, but um, you will be uh, fulfilling my need for fantasy and fun and Aww. music with um, your snowball. Well, I look forward to seeing you there. Snowball on December 15th at the Music Box Right on the cusp of the Industrial Canal, you're just going up that bridge, coming down. I just like to let help people understand how to get there. Um, it is off of Poland Avenue, um, and it's uh, on the river side of Poland, so uh, North Rampart Street. Um, if you're, but don't go over into the Lower Ninth Ward. You want to take Poland, which is the last street before that bridge. Um, and if you're coming from uh, headed towards the Lower Ninth, you, it's the last right that you can make onto Poland, and then you make your very next left onto North Rampart. Okay. Yeah. Music box, Stubball, December 15th. Time? 6 to 10 p.m. 6 to 10 p.m. Uh, children at that time? No. Well, um, we are typically an all-ages venue, um, and I would say that uh, all ages could attend the party, but it is a party. Um, so yeah. just to bear that in mind. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. For being with us. Nice to see you. And um, thank you all out there. And um, listen, um, for those of you who get my newsletter, you may have seen that I ask you to please send us your um, holiday images for our crosstown scenes in the newsletter that advances the show that we have on. Um, uh, WBOK on Wednesday nights between 6 and 7. This is Gene Nathan, Crosstown Conversations. Y'all stay safe.